I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. All right, so we're kind of turning the tables this morning, and uh, I'm interviewing uh, the the interviewer. (laughs) The interviewee has become the interviewer. We started off in the the same place, I think, uh, practically a year ago when we Mm. started your podcast, Yeah, and it's been... uh, uh, a long time coming that I wanted to start my own little series of conversations yes. with uh, the leading lights in my world on my uh, on my sort of uh, list of intellectual influences, and uh, I, I thought that it would make sense to start with kind of a, a practical conversation related to a book that we collaborated on, mm-hmm. which is the vision for you and the accompanying exercises. Which is, uh, I mean, t- why don't you describe in your own words why you wrote this book and who you wrote it for? Yeah, so uh, this is a series of spiritual exercises that were given to me um, over 30 years ago now. Um, and the initial motivation for me was that uh, I met a guy called David Birtwistle who just, um, something about him made me believe it was true. And I, all I can say is he just had that sparkle in his eye. Um, that convinced me that they were worth doing. And he suggested to me that um, I would have a happier life and a more fulfilling life and could very likely uh, become an artist, which is what I was dreaming of um, and had never been possible. And I was in my mid-twenties at that point and felt as though my life was slipping away. So um, he introduced this daily routine of what I now realise is prayer, meditation and good works um, daily habits of good things to do, effectively. And from that foundation took me through um, more, shall we say, deeper, more reflective uh, series of exercises. So prayer, meditation, and good works were mm-hmm. the foundation for this program that he took you through. Mm. Uh, was that something that he brought into it immediately, or was it uh, kind of a gradual introduction to other spiritual principles? Um, he, he gave me that immediately. He gave me a daily routine. Um, there was no escaping the prayer part of it, because he told me to get down on my knees and pray. Um, I was an atheist, so uh, he said, don't worry about that. If you're willing to believe that this might help, or just hoping that it might help, um, you don't need to tell anybody you're doing it. Just get on your knees um, and, and as an action of humility, take the action and then ask to be looked after today and to have a happy life and be of service to others. And at night, say thank you. Uh, the meditation, um, I had a, v- a view of meditation as more of the Eastern style. Where, you know, I'd done a little bit of transcendental meditation and, you know, I... I had a picture of people sitting cross-legged and uh, aiming to eliminate thought. What, so he didn't, what he gave me, he didn't call meditation. Hmm. Um, he just gave me um, something which was in the Western tradition, I now realize, which was um, a, a, some readings that I should think about. Uh, meditate just means think. Um, and so ideals to live by. So he suggested I, I read a statement um, which was sort of generically spiritual, non-religious, which is what I could take called the Just For Today card, uh, a series of statements, Just For Today I will try to do this, Just For Today I'll try to do that. And um, 
But that actually was a meditation. He also suggested that I write a gratitude list, actually think about positive things in my life, write it down and thank God. And this is an old Western meditation, which is commonly referred to counting your blessings. Um, and then the good works were aiming generally to be of service, but he also encouraged me to find something that I could commit to, ideally on a weekly basis, and put aside time for others um, as a habit um, and make that the priority for that, that evening or whatever, it, whatever time I've allotted to it. Yeah, so you distinguish between prayer and meditation Prayer being maybe closer to what some people think of as being uh, meditation, where it's sitting in silence, not doing any other activity other than sort of channeling your your, your thoughts or, or mind onto some sort of uh, like a. I guess I mean you say that when you think of meditation, you think of kind of emptying your thoughts. That's not the no, or uh, well, that's what I had thought because yeah. I, I, I'd come to it from the Eastern. So prayer, um, of course, is involves active use of the conscious mind and um, petitions and requests and praise and this sort of thing. Um, talking to God is the way that it was put to me. Um, meditation um, in this pattern is more um, just... Uh, thinking about godly things, but then also um, sitting quietly as well. So being receptive, but it is not about eliminating thought. It's if I if good thoughts come, I, I run with them, mm-hmm. and sometimes I even write write down. I have a pen and a pad, and and so I think about the thought that's coming, and what are the you know what should I do? How do I respond? To, and so I, I follow a good train of thought, and. That, I was told, is um, if it's good, uh, then it very likely comes from God or it's consistent with God's will. And it doesn't mean that it's, it's a dramatic sense of the presence of God. It, thinking feels, in this situation, feels very much like it does in any other. Mm-hmm. It's just the recognition that there are good thoughts and bad thoughts, and we're trying to focus and encourage on the good, prompted maybe by some of this reading, directing our mind first, to um, some ideals through a text that we read and just think about. Yeah. So the process starts with the recognition that your life is not as you want it to be in some way. Yes, yes. And you don't necessarily try to tackle your problems directly and immediately through the, the way that you might think would be the, the most direct way to solve the problems. You've got these three things that would seem to be sort of ancillary to the exact uh, goal that you have in mind of, of a better life. Yes, yeah, so um, you would ask in prayer for help with, with okay. particular problems, uh, certainly. Um, but the main focus is on, um, it is on making sure first, shall we say, that I do these actions um, and do these things. Um, and then perhaps try to tackle the problem, but don't get too worried about that at this stage. Um, Just develop first the habit of these additional things. Um, And uh, also the other other element to this was trying to lead a good uh, and moral life. Um, 
Now, David, I was not religious at this point, so talk of morality would have, might have made me feel uneasy. Uh, but leading a good life and do it, trying to do the right thing and the loving thing, I could accept that sort of language. And at this point, this really meant talking to Dave and saying, well, I'm thinking of doing this, what do you think? Hmm. Um, because I didn't have really a properly worked out moral system. I had no authority that I could recognize. I wasn't religious. Um, and so first it was David, and gr- grad- I, what I, this is where I didn't realize that what he was giving me were things consistent with the Catholic faith, and he would always present the arguments for them um, in terms of natural law, you know, sensible, common sense reasons based first upon human experience and what he thought would happen. Um, but... Uh, that was another part of it. So I was starting to do things and stop doing other things that uh, I was capable of doing, but perhaps hadn't wanted to yeah. in the past. Yeah. You've done probably you know a dozen interviews on this book with other people that, that you can find online if, if you want to learn about yeah. the general process. My interest uh, is uh, more in the area of uh, kind of a, a health and fitness field where people, I think, are, are struggling with uh, we're awash in misinformation, uh, fad diets, and it yep. can be hard to know how to approach something like health directly. Uh, but I think that there can be, I mean, there's, there's one thing that's sort of unavoidable, which is the need for discipline when it comes to health. And I think that a lot of... Uh, trendy fads try to sort of circumvent that and you know it's understandable that you wouldn't want to make it any harder than it has to be Mm. but uh, I think that what interests me most uh, about the idea of this series of exercises in relation to health is that it doesn't necessarily try to approach the the say unhealthy habits uh, head-on in a way that is bound to fail just because of all of our sort of repeated attempts to, mm. uh, what does St. Paul say? You know, I do not do the things that I want to do and yes. I, um, I do the things that I don't want to do or, or I might be mixing that up. But uh, the idea that, you know, we only have so much uh, willpower or mm. uh, we have a, a sort of limited ability to just do what we, we know to be good. Putting aside the question of, what actually is the, the correct thing to do. But yes. um, when it comes to, say, you know, a habit that we know is, is unhealthy for us, take something like excessive drinking or drug use, or uh, in my case, re- recently I've just been struggling with caffeine, uh, a little bit of caffeine addiction. And, you, and the way that I define it is that it interferes in some way with another important area of my life. And the biggest way that it interferes is with my sleep, and with the ability to wind down at the end of the day okay. and turn off that mode that is always trying to get through a to-do list. So when the day is done, you know I need some way to, to wind down and uh, get my thoughts to, to stop racing. Um, and I've found that with caffeine, oftentimes when I try to manage it or control it and say, well, I'm going to allow myself this but not this, uh, it ends up just kind of tightening the grip in some sort of yes. counterintuitive fashion. So I thought that I would ask you 
uh, your thoughts on this and kind of how you would approach it within this framework, uh, how I can start to loosen my grip on, uh, on this, this substance of caffeine that seems to be gripping me tighter the, the, <laughs> the more I try to control yeah. it. Well, first of all, I'm sorry that um, it's having that effect. Um, as one who loves coffee and um, sings the praises of drinking lots of it, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not in your situation. But um, I, it, the, the first point is that the clear recognition that it's interfering with, with something, that you know, there is a need there. Um, and so the way that I would approach this is do the routine it's the it's the list of daily suggestions which are in the the vision for you process which i summarized earlier but as part of that ask for help with this to find the right balance i don't know whether you're seeking a balance or to eliminate it what mm. um i i think with coffee it's possible to seek a balance but anyway yeah. you, you should decide yeah. that it, right. it, it doesn't need to be total abstinence necessarily some yeah. things it it does but others it doesn't um and so pray for help to find that. And then make your priority in the day, the, the, the daily, the, you know, the routine of, of things that, as you say, are ancillary. I've got this problem here, and I seem to be focusing over here, but somehow the two do gradually become connected. And then I would also say be aware of the amount of coffee you're drinking. Mm -hmm. And if you drink too much, just... Um, notice it and just say, "Well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try." So don't get um, too neurotic or focused on it, but be aware of it mm -hmm. and just say, "Well, that's a little bit too much. I'll try and do better." And, yeah. Um, and um, and remember also that the end that you're aiming for is a bet is is sleep and being able to wind down. Um, so. As for that as well, you've, you've located caffeine as the problem, mm -hmm. um, but it might be that, that you know, with a, a little bit of caffeine, and a li remember that this process is spiritual, and a, a sort of focus on that side of life can naturally bring us these uh, benefits of uh, sleep and concentration at night, especially if we're, we're introducing a little bit of prayer and reflection as well. It, it can give us those benefits in other ways. It might not be the way that we imagine. Yeah, the question of abstinence, complete abstinence, or kind of moderation is, I think, a good distinction. And I, I struggle with that because, in one sense, in the ideal, I think that I'd like to be able to be fully energized, productive, motivated, without any outside uh, stimulus, mm. or I shouldn't say that because you know light is a, an outside stimulus. The air we breathe. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, cold exposure. You know, going swimming in the bay where the the cold kind of shocks me a little bit of uh, out of out of my complacency and and gives me the same feeling that that caffeine does. Just kind of energizes the whole nervous system uh, in a way that still feels more balanced. And at the end of the day. I never have any trouble sleeping. It, it, it is, I think, in some ways, uh, a good regulator of, of my uh, sleep and wake patterns. But there are some things like food where, of course, you, you have to find a balance. If you're eating too much or mm. too much of uh, you know, certain kinds of food, you can't completely avoid food altogether. Yeah, yeah. So in the case of something like an Overeaters Anonymous, I've always wondered how they deal with that um, 
compared yeah. to a 12 step program that focuses on, you know, strictly remaining yes, clean absence. and sober. Yeah. Um, have you encountered? I, I, I haven't, I, I don't know much about, about that. Um, but I, I think just in my own life that there is a difference. There are certain things which I've had, I've cut out altogether. Um, and so I asked for help on that. And then bad habits of life, the sort of things that I might bring to confession, mm-hmm. for example. Um, now, clearly, I want some of those I want to cut out altogether. But I recognize that it's better to do fewer than... It, uh, it, it's not the end of the world if I do it occasionally, shall we say it. Yeah. Uh, provided I acknowledge my fault and I bring it to God and ask for mercy. Yeah. Um, so that's that's something where... It would be better to not do it at all, but uh, there is a recognition that I'm likely to. And um, through God's mercy and God's grace, um, I can move forward happily without any... um, Once I've uh, recognized uh, the fault, if you like, the sin. um, Now, with things that where there's necessarily a balance, that it's good to a point, and then we can overindulge... um, I think that the question then is, it's not always easy to know where that balance is. Yeah. So we bring that into the, the prayer. We ask for the right balance. Ask that, for some wisdom. Yes. And, and the point about this is that, that there's two aspects to this. I, I once heard, um, it was a talking book from, I think, a Stanford psychology professor, something like that, who had... Um, would do courses on helping people to diet and introduce discipline um, and other uh, sort of bad habits as well, which she listed. Um, And what she said, her program involved um, introducing something into your life um, that you could do that is good, that you are able to do on a regular basis. And she felt that that would, um, as, as a psychological tool, would develop that facility for doing good things that, that would then um, move laterally, if you like, into other aspects of our life. Hmm. Um, and she noted that directly attacking the diet very rarely works. Um, so she would get people to focus on that and then at the same time to deny themselves something um, that is that they like um, so it has to be something you like, but say, all right, I'm going to deny that as part of the developing that facility for self-denial. And in, in a way, that the way she described it, it seems to flex our willpower muscles um, in a way that we can... So you start with the light weights and eventually the, the heavier ones will look after, you, after themselves. Right. Now, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure... I, I don't... Uh, doubt a, a word that she said. I'm sure the effects are as, or I'm happy to believe that the effects are exactly as she said, um, and that there is a psychological component. Um, but I would add, as a believer, that I think that doing things that are spiritual, as well, of the, uh, that conform to that pattern, which is really what this daily routine does. Mm-hmm. Uh, we introduce good works and self-sacrifice. And we try to do what is good and right. So that means that we avoid things that we know are wrong. But the, the very fact that we are tempted to do them means that we like them. Right. Um, so introducing that according to a pattern of morality. And ultimately, the moral law is something which is a roadmap to happiness and to God. 
um, is a double whammy. In my, I, I think that we will, you know, we're opening ourselves up to God's grace and developing, in a sense, that capacity for one hopes for responding to it. Yeah. Um, and so I think there is a psychological and a spiritual uh, um, aspect to this as well. Yeah. I'm thinking of a book that I read recently by Gary Taubes, who's a science journalist, and he's written a lot about the nutrition debates that have not been settled uh, by the scientific community. It seems like there's sort of more uncertainty than ever. But he's trying to draw out certain threads that he thinks that uh, we can say with more or less certainty that, that these are kind of the big contributors to the rise of the epidemics of diabetes, obesity, those are the, the metabolic syndromes. And then along with that, we've, we've seen a rise of things like Alzheimer's uh, and other kind of chronic disease. Um, and he, he pins down sugar as the, the main, uh, I don't want to say scapegoat, because I think that you know he's trying to make, the, the book is called The Case Against Sugar. So okay. he lays out, one, all of the, the research that was done uh, early on that, that showed sugar to be the, the culprit. And then he looks at how there was a turn starting around the 1960s, 1950s, 1960s, where there was this concerted effort to rehabilitate sugar's mm. reputation and the sort of smear campaigns against the, uh, the researchers who had found that sugar was was a leading culprit in causing these diseases. Um, I find it convincing. I think that in my own life, I've felt better the more that I can limit sugar. Uh, there's benefits from finding something like a, you know, just a, I've got a, an orange here in my pocket, and this contains mm. a fair amount of sugar, actually. But, uh, you know, this is like a, a sweet treat, and uh, as opposed to, you know, going for the ice cream or cookies or, or cake on a on a daily basis, where it sort of dulls the the senses a little bit and makes it so that uh, sugar is uh, kind of fits the the form of a, a traditional addiction yes. and one that we acquire at a very young age. Um, you know, when the first time a, a child eats sugar, oftentimes their face kind of lights up and there, there's one section of a Michael Pollan book, a Michael Pollan, the, the food writer who uh, is, describes his, his son's reaction that it's as if um, suddenly he realized, you know, why he had come into this world and now the rest of his life was going to be dedicated to securing this, this uh, sweet, sweet thing. Um, so the, the, the point about Sugar, I guess, is that because it fits so many of these, uh, pa the, the pattern of, of a, an addictive substance, Taub's questions whether there is such a thing as eating sugar in moderation. And so it's another one of these cases where uh, it's hard to avoid sugar completely. Mm -hmm. And I'm not uh, such a purist that I think that we should swear off of fruit altogether or, you know, the the small amounts of sweetener than sugar that we'll encounter just eating eating sort of normally yeah the, 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 what I would say about that I, I'm um, when you're dealing with people uh, the human person um, 
there is a, you know, I'm open to all of these ideas and the, the scientific research and the gradual refinement, if you like, of nutritional science, which is a new science. And we've, right. we've talked about this before. It's <clears throat> developing and changing. Um, but I think what um, it's worth considering as well is the fact that we are body, soul, and spirit. Mm -hmm. And that in the human person, these things are unified and uh, interact. And so um, the very fact that through spiritual exercises you can change mood, for example, mm. must mean that that is altering the chemistry in the brain. It, it, it's, um, now, what is the cause and what is the effect? The scientist always looks at the, the physical as the cause and the, and the mood as the effect. Right. It might be the other way around. Yeah. And so what that science might be totally accurate. I, I, mean, I haven't seen the studies and I don't know, but there's a, lo a lot of it rings true for me in what you're saying. And as you know, I've, I've uh, cut down my sugar having talked to you. So I'm very happy to believe it. But the other side of it is that um, the context into which um, even when the studies are correct, and mm -hmm. we know they, they might not be, the context of the society into which it is happening can differ. If you have um, a society which is largely believing and faithful, um, it's never going to, there's no perfect society, but there are, you know, we live in a secular world today, which is different from what it would have been like for all its faults mm. 100 years ago or 150 years ago. And it might be that the balance is is different because um, he's looking at a, a body of people for whom there is no spiritual influence mm. that is might be a natural correcting factor and right. allows for certain um, uh, margins of error, should we say, in diet. Um, and so the way to... So I would take all of these things into account, but I would at the same time, to anyone who would listen, and many won't, um, of course, is say, correct first the spiritual element. Get that locked in right. as best you can as a focus. And it's a, it's a never-ending... Well, it, it ends in the next life, should we say. But in this life, it's a, it's a developing process. But put that in place and then start to consider those physical things. Um, now, sometimes some of these physical things, as with addiction to drugs or alcohol, are barriers to even instituting the spiritual things. Mm -hmm. So, that, so you, that's why it's good to start with total abstinence and anyone who has a drugs or alcohol problem probably go to a 12-step program or something. Mm -hmm. that They seem to be the things that work. But it's interesting that having um, eliminated that physical cause, if you like, um, the focus in the 12-step programs is spiritual, and they, they, they believe, um, as far as I'm aware, that you must maintain that and develop it. And then what happens is they see a pattern of a a balance in their life sort of permeating in other ways um, right so you um, now if there's no obvious barrier to instituting these spiritual things um, so you can at least implement the discipline of those right at the beginning um, I would say do that and then think about the sugar and and 
look at yourself as a, as a unique person as well as a human being who is part of the human race and so will have certain universal characteristics as well. Right. So maybe part of the, the problem of the past hundred years is not just the sugar itself, but it's all of the, the immoderate tendencies of the society itself. Or it, the, perhaps. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just speculating. I would say that it's difficult to know. And the problem with science is that um, in its foundational premises, the, the, the scientific method cuts out the spiritual dimension mm -hmm. and it won't acknowledge metaphysics now, that's very good as long as you under, it, that's what's given it such great power i think in giving us all the benefits that we enjoy today right um but when we start then make use of what it tells us and put it back into our lives in other words we synthesize that information with everything else that we know about the human person yeah we shouldn't neglect that spiritual aspect and i think that's the problem i haven't read that book but it can be the problem with some of these dietary studies and you know that the, the, the reason that it seems like we're chasing after one thing and then we you know we, we seem to over you know we're right. constantly readjusting yeah um maybe it's because that principle of balance uh, which ultimately is the spiritual life mm -hmm. is lacking, um, and that's that's going to be different for different people. I, I I do accept that there are broad tendencies and some universal principles in the human race, uh, clearly, um, but their manifestation can is multifaceted. I I think. Yeah. 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 It's making me think about just all of these questions in terms of disorders of desire of our desires and when we uh, make a an idol out of a, a desire then it will lead us mm. down the wrong road uh, but there's also a sense in which I think modern society is overcorrected to fearing desire or thinking that you know the the popularity of Eastern spirituality where desire is seen as the root of all suffering uh, what I what I find refreshing and what I like about this book is that it really does not try to downplay or, or suppress or eliminate desire, right. uh, but it just tries to channel it into our, its its highest end or into our highest happiness. Yes, I, 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 what you're describing sounds to me um, as what I would see in the modern world, which is t um, a dualism hmm. that manifests itself in so many ways, material, spiritual, you might say. But, but does, doesn't see the unity of the, the two. So on the one hand, you have hedonism, and on the other hand, people recognizing that there's something wrong with that and swinging into the other direction mm -hmm. and, and disengaging. And it seems to me that it's only Christianity um, through the person of Christ that you have the, the, the perfect, the balance and proper appreciation of the material and the spiritual together. Yeah. And um, we can analyze that and articulate it scientifically or maybe theologically as sort of separate disciplines. But the, the synthesis of all this is in, the, the, or the unity of this is in the person of Christ. But for us as individuals, I would say that it comes through um, the living of the, of the faith, of the Christian faith. Hmm. Um, that is the principle of balance and harmony um, 
where we can love God, ourselves, and our fellows um, in a way that doesn't see these things as competing with each other and, and within ourselves, the spiritual and the material. There's so many directions we, we go to. And without um, God's grace, um, through the Christian faith, I believe, um, that we can't balance these things. It's an impossible task. We're, we're pulled in so many directions. Um, well, as the church tells us, it's po- it is possible through reason to uh, know all these things, I think, mm. even to know a lot more. I don't know everything about God. I'm just trying to think of what Thomas Aquinas said. But the reason that we have revelation is because uh, along the way, most of us will be in error and we aren't capable of retaining all that information even if we we get there it's a it's it's a it's a very very you know huge task that's uh, although in principle possible maybe the theologians can tell me whether that's a definite yes um most of us it it we can't do it and so it's the living of the faith um as revealed to us uh, uh, through the uh, the church and christ which needs to be that principle. Now, for those who don't have the Christian faith, I didn't, uh, we can do things that are consistent with it and make a start, and that's enough. So talk a little bit more about the role of grace, What uh, first starting with kind of more of your definition of that, and maybe uh, either sharing sort of personal experience or how you've seen it operate in other people's lives where you're talking about the the inability to find this balance yet also somehow the ability to to find the balance or you know which which one is it um okay i'll describe my experiences i I don't want to get too deeply into the theology i'm always i'm not trained and i'm always wary that um someone who does know about this could probably pick holes in the the language that i use and you know but um Firstly, having said that, I believe that God's grace, God's free, unearned help um, is necessary in my life. I can't do this on my own. Um, And so my experience is that gradually, um, so, well, immediately, um, on doing these daily things, um, I noticed a difference. Just that I, I, I can't say why but the day seemed to go more smoothly. So mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about what are my eating habits at this point. I was, I was just thinking about how can I get through the day without panicking or without flying into a rage or something like that. And with, without being able to say precisely why, you know, I went to work the day before and I went to work the day after, uh, life seemed to go better. Um, but it, it, it was incremental, you know, it was slight. But it was perceptible. I noticed mm-hmm. something, and that that built up. And I can go back, and I or I can, you know, have I have my moments that I have to address and this sort of thing. Um, but then the general pattern in my life is one of um, just noticing that uh, steadily, and again, not perfectly. I must I must stress that. And it, you know, there's a few steps forward, and the, you know. There are setbacks as well. Um, the the better ordering of the relationships of people around me. So um, I just find that the more I do this, the nicer everybody else gets. And you know, I know I'm not affecting them 
maybe they're responding to me slightly differently mm-hmm. or something. Um, I can't tell you what I'm doing differently. Um, and there are still people who don't like me. You know, I, I know that. But um, again, it's just it's a general trend that I notice. In terms of my um, my health, uh, um, I would say that I just it's something that I seem to have the time to be interested in it. First mm. of all, um, initially, you talked about you know you you've got this period at the end of the day where your your mind is racing. That seemed to be how I was permanently, mm. and just to be able to calm down a bit and just think about something and address it and feel that you can even do something however small about the problem is a huge change actually or it was for me um and and what i would find is that gradually um it's like a sort of um process of crystallization that just incrementally and steadily spreads with each part being order with in order with the last and <coughs> excuse me in terms of my spiritual life um it began with this routine um i was looking at morality because i that was the principle of order that was in my daily life and i knew i needed some authority other than david so i looked at churches and religions and chose catholicism this was something like 5 years later then once i was in the i was a catholic there's a whole treasury of um uh, advice and experience uh in the spiritual life so it's a never ending process it's continually enriched um and so what what happened for me was that i then started to pray the psalms and initially um i remember i was told try and do it morning and nights just to mm. just do a little bit and i'd forget or i couldn't do it or i didn't have the time and then steadily i i resolved right i'm just going to make the time to do um at least once a day the morning bit and i'll try the night and yeah. gradually that would come in and i don't know quite how it happened but then i started to want to do it more often in the day mm. and uh, initially i didn't have a salter with me and it was before phones could just bring something up right. so i would just say a prayer at certain times during the day and i quite often forget and but um gradually i because i wanted to that desire for an order that permeated my life became greater yeah um and this was over years it wasn't something that happened suddenly um but it it was like um it was as though i think as a, as an artist um if you have a black canvas and you do one white stroke that's your if you like uh initial attempt that white stroke at an ordered spiritual life the hmm. first prayer the the first basic routine of the daily routine um that my perception of that is i'm aware of the black and the white hmm. but actually my perception of the whole is that it's steadily lighter and from that single white line i might then have a branch of it hmm. and so steadily it's making inroads it's replacing the black but also it's the the, the perception of the whole is steadily universally lighter 
And that's the sense that I've had of my, my life, that I'm doing things that are consistent with the principle of order. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes they're diet, uh, exercise. Um, I was always pretty good at exercise, actually. But, um, but nevertheless, a whole range of different things, things in the moral life that are, I might do. Fasting, actually, is something that we've talked about that uh, I didn't do very well as a Catholic for a long time. And now I feel more able to do that. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of it was I just couldn't imagine how I could possibly deny myself the, those other aspects of the food that I liked. Um, but the the picture of my life is one that is, in the, the broad picture, is getting better and seems more ordered, uh, yeah. more universally light, if I can put it like that. Yeah. That's, I think the another one of those paradoxes about grace is that, like you say, it's unearned, but you have to show up yes. to receive it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and and with that, you know, there's there's also the, there still is the need for discipline in all things. Yes. And there's no kind of waving a, a wand to to remove that component. Um, but we're about, or at least you know, I'm I'm about trying to. Sort of get the most for the least uh, when it comes <laughs> to it, yeah. some of these things. And when it comes to exercise, I think that there are a lot of people who are struggling under the uh, assumption that fitness has to be a daily dedicated effort, getting a gym membership and doing something unpleasant for half an hour, whether it's running on a yeah. treadmill or an elliptical. And if someone has that routine and enjoys it, I would not ever try to dissuade them from yep. doing that. But I think that uh, kind of shifting gears, and I, I want to uh, see how this might fit in with the Vision for You framework. Mm. The way that I've been thinking about functional fitness these days is looking at uh, what are the needs of your life? What are the demands of your life? And there's a principle in, in the fitness world of, uh, the acronym is SAID, like past tense for saying, S-A-I-D, the specific adaptation to an imposed demand. And so if you are running marathons, your body will start to adjust to that. You might lose some body fat, you know, you'll gain lung capacity. Um, and some of the, you know, the, the really elite runners almost look like they're, they're wasting away just because you want to have kind of minimum of extra body mass. But for most people, that's not a very functional mm. state of being. But if you need to run... 26 miles, it becomes uh, becomes functional. There are some things that I think are more functional for everybody. A baseline of strength, baseline of mobility, those help us in everything that we do. But rather than um, exercising these things on a, on a machine that we would rarely encounter in our lives, I uh, have sort of exercises that can be stacked into daily life um, and and principles that you can follow when you're doing these things. Uh, so I think that what, what where I would tie it into the vision for you is kind of having in mind uh, a vision of where you want to go or what you want to be able to do that you can't currently do or that you can't currently do with so much ease. Um, and I, I think that... Uh, it, what it's lacking is sort of a, a set of exercises to go along with. I mean, like like the the, the written component or the, the 
contemplative component, maybe. Yeah. Um, can you think of something that might serve as a bridge between the initial desire to be liberated from certain, you know, constraints or limitations of our of our body um, uh, that would fit the the vision for you framework? Um, well, I can. I'm just thinking a little bit of what I've done myself, mm-hmm. and so I, I, I just throw this at you and see what you're what you feel about this. Um, so I've never done weights before. Um, and so I bought a, some dumbbells. I'm conscious that, uh, my knees are going, I, I always used to like to run and do sports, mm. a lot of sport. Um, and as I've got older, I'm now 57. I didn't really like the fact a that, um, you know, I was break. you know, I'm getting older. I just can't do what I used to do. Right. And, um, I don't, funnily enough, I don't miss it that much, but I'd like to be able to do something. Um, so uh, what I have done is following your suggestions, actually. I've introduced, I just bought some 12-pound weights, dump, you know, individual handheld weights. Um, and, and I was doing two or three times a week. But even that, I didn't find. I don't enjoy it. I don't mm. want to do it. And I just want to make sure that I'm not wasting away and perhaps getting a little stronger. I've never had much upper body strength, and so I did the pattern that you described, where I just have a series of exercises that do the shoulders, the arms, a uh, little bit of the legs, so squats, if you mm. like. Um, so I, as far as I can work out, it's probably about a half a dozen things that give me some all-round strength. And then I just hold the position until, until the, the muscle's aching. Mm-hmm. And it's just a few seconds. Um, and you, you said, I think that might do it. And, I, and my sense is that, that it is giving me the strength. And I can contemplate doing that. So in my exercise, I, rather than thinking on a daily basis, I try to think weekly. Right. And... So I can do that. I try. I try to have a. Um, may, then for me, walking um, is something that I, I can do. Uh, the minute I start running, my back goes, my knees go, so I can't do that. Mm. Um, but there are some hills around here, so if I just walk up a hill, it um, I can just do it fast enough that I get out of breath, and they're steep enough. And I just think if I do that, maybe a couple of times a week that will help me. Yeah. Um, and as long as it's something that's more, um, then that's the start I can make. And following that principle that I just described, provided that the, the spiritual routine has the priority, and then I introduce these physical things, um, that balance, I'll probably find it, um, what the right balance for me. Yeah. Um, I believe that, the, I think, that guided by this, that there's a greater inclination to head towards the right position of balance. So probably it's going to mean that the walking that might that's going to be more than once a week. You know, you, it's good to uh, to try to walk rather you know when you can as much as you can. Um, um, but the weights, I have no desire to do more than that in a yeah. week. Um, and even the, the it's, it's probably a ten minute routine that it ends up being. Um, I don't enjoy it enough to do any more than that, actually. Yeah. But I feel I get the benefits. But uh, so, what are the principles that I'm articulating here? Just 
um, move a little bit in the direction you want to go. Do something. F- have that spiritual basis as the, the, the core. And as with the, the, the diet and other aspects of our lives, including the moral, um, somehow probably a balance will come into this that will have a, nat- a more natural sense of what is right for us. Yeah, so going it goes back to the whole mind, body, spirit integration. Yes. And putting first things first. I would say so. Um, and don't try and solve the, your whole life problem at, at once, as the as it says in that statement that David gave me all those years ago, the just for today card. You know, yeah. Um, just do it. Do a little bit of what you need to do, um, and then you find that if it's good and right, somehow it'll work its way into your life in a balanced way. Right. Yeah, I I like that. And I was uh, reading a a newsletter from a a friend who also does kind of a natural movement practice and a coaching practice. And he says, he made the point that when you try to brutalize yourself into shape, um, (laughs) you're, you're trying to, you know, force your body from from one shape that it's been for a long time into a yeah. completely different shape, it doesn't like that. And I think that the same thing is true just of, of you know, our, our lives in general, that we are creatures of habit and we, we want to, we can harness that to our advantage by incorporating new habits that build on one another or kind of cascade in this, in this yes. way that, that can perpetuate the good and, and cleave off the bad. Uh, the other thing with with movement that, that you're making me think of is just the potential for movement snacks throughout the day. That it can be very little things. Uh, I mentioned stacking movement into your day. That's just the idea of thinking of maybe chores or unpleasant things. When I do the laundry recently, I've been kind of more mindful about how I can turn that into a uh, a little bit of a mindful movement exercise. So rather than you know, kind of lean over and, and arch my back to pick things out and put them in. I'll, I'll squat down and just get in a position that is more actually more comfortable and probably uses less energy in the long run. Uh, but just being mindful of all the ways that we are still required to move uh, in order to to get our chores done. Mm. Uh, I think that, that that can be powerful. And maybe even just writing them out and thinking, okay, when I do this, I'm going to be mindful that this is not just a chore that I'm trying to get over with. It's actually the, the substitute for going to the gym. So I'm going to treat it that way, and I'm going to sort of discipline myself to do it with good form and be mindful of my, my posture. And then lastly, I think just uh, the, the you know, walking is, uh, is a great time to practice the mindfulness of how you're how you're breathing how you're standing Mm. um and just experiment with different ways of walking uh try you know if you're going up a hill try sort of leaning forward more leaning back more notice what what will uh what's most comfortable there's something else that occurs to me as you're speaking because there's so many areas of our life that we could improve or introduce these things Mm -hmm. and um Again, there's, we could be overwhelmed if we try to do all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this is something that uh, was, I was taught as a painter, is that when you're painting naturalistically, you, 
you look at the painting, you look at the object, um, and um, you gradually make the painting look more like the object. Hmm. Um, and so that I was always told to attack, attack the stragglers. In other words, you look, at, look for the part that is most obviously wrong hmm. and correct that okay. first. Um, once you've done that, or you, it, as close as, it, as you can, yeah. then you come back and have a fresh look. And what happens is something else jumps out at you. Right. And then you correct that. Um, and so that's a, you know, it's a long process. As long as there's no um, absolutely desperate need to change something, because if you don't, your life is going to fall apart. Right, right. Um, that's, that's how it works. And it usually becomes apparent to you what you need to address. You, know, mm. you, just, um, you don't need to alter the, your whole life at once. You can just do things bit by bit. You can do a number of things incrementally, just introduce one little thing. Uh, one little habit of exercise into your life. Once you once it's become habit, then it, it's not an effort. It's 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 become the new normal, and so then you can introduce something else. Yeah, that seems like a, a great place to stop. Uh, the the line that I'm thinking of that just relates to that is start a movement, and you know <laughs> your own movement it can be you know tailored to your personal routine, whatever it is. Just initiate some new movement in a way that moves you toward your goal. Um, the book that we've been talking about is The Vision for You, How to Discover the Life You Are Made For. It's on Amazon, and you can find David's work at thewayofbeauty.com. Org. Org. Okay, thewayofbeauty.org. David, it's been good talking with you as always. Yeah, great pleasure, Charlie. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Way of Beauty podcast conversations on catholic faith and culture if you enjoyed this episode then please give us a five star review on itunes this will help others to find it too also if you are interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss you can do a course at the pontifex university website that's pontifex.university 